about within this series, and, and the, the underlying theme is really faith. It's really about believing God, and it's really about uh, crossing into to what God has for us. In week one, we talked about leaving the old and entering into something new, and how many know that that requires faith to leave something behind? And in week two, we talked about life in the threshold and how the children of Israel were stuck in the desert, and it says, and it says and I believe in the book of Hebrews, it says they were stuck there because of their unbelief. And then we see... Um, in week three, we talked about uh, the Jordan and crossing the Jordan, and we knew we when we studied that that story, we talked about how it was whenever their feet touched the water, that's whenever God provided the way. But we have to get out and we have to step in in order to see the move of God. So it was a move of faith. And then week four, we talked about breakthrough, and we know the children of Israel how they marched around, but the walls didn't come the, the walls didn't come down, and then they praised. No, they praised, and then the walls came down. So we see, we see this p- pattern. And so and today we're gonna we're, and last. Last week, we talked about trusting God with the first fruits of our finances, and many times we want God's blessing, but God wants the front end of our end. God wants what already belongs to him, and we talked about that, and it's just been a journey of faith. It's been a journey of really stepping out and just kind of moving into obedience and moving into to God's nature. Come on, are you with me? And so many times we, we focus on obedience, and we think, oh, it's just so negative, and it's so hard to obey. Listen, it's not hard to obey when you have a good view of who God is. When you recognize that when God asks you to do something, it's because it's better than anything else that you could ever imagine. It's, it's, he's a good God, and so when he gives us a commission, when he gives us a, a command, it's, it's not just for the kingdom's benefit. It's for our benefit as individuals. How many know that you function better out of pleasure than you do out of misery? You just do, right? And so God's not trying to, I was kind of from an old school that said, man, if you're serving God and you're miserable, like you get double blessing for that. Seriously, that's kind of what was thought. Like, if you really hate what you're doing, if you really hate obeying God, and then you you move into that and obey God, then you're going to get some kind of merit for that. There's no merit for misery. So you might as well do, do what God's called you to do pleasurably and enjoy it. Are you with me? And you'll do better at it, and you'll enjoy God more out of it. So just enter into God's pleasure. Come on, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you don't have that joy, then you won't have the sustaining power to get you through to, to the next threshold, to the next level, to the next room. So we see this story um, about Joshua and he's moving in and he moves the people. And last week, you know, we, we talked about the first fruits and how they, they took some of what belonged to God in Jericho. So they went up against AI and they were destroyed, right? They were defeated because they kept what belonged to God. So then they make things right, right? They went all Old Testament on Achan and uh, they took care of him. And then God brought his blessing and then they went in and they took AI. And they start this conquest, well, not really start, but continue the conquest of, of, of taking back the land that God had already given them. And so Joshua was leading these battles. Now, now keep in mind, Joshua is like 80 years old. He's not like some spring chicken that, you know, was born when they crossed the Jordan. I mean, this dude was old. He had seen some battles. He had faced battles. He was, he was there in the wilderness. In fact, everybody else around him, except for Caleb, had died off. I mean, he was old. He was like stinky old, right? He was like hair coming out of his ears old, right? He was old. And... Um, so he was like, put my food in a blender old. You know what I'm saying? Um, so he's, he's really old. We're not dishonoring Joshua. He was, he was in his prime. Come on, if you're, if you're with me. And uh, so he leads the people over the Jordan. Jericho AI does all these things. Well, some of the enemies that, of cities and actually the king of Jerusalem said, hey, we're going to get together with some of these other kings and we're going to take Joshua out. So if we can just work, join forces, then we can defeat Joshua 
and we can keep them from coming and taking our cities. So they have formed this alliance between these five kings of these five different cities, and they, they go to attack this town called Gibeon. Now, Gibeon, what it was, it was one of the towns that they were going to take over, but they actually deceived the children of Israel, pretending like they were poor, and they came in and they said, hey, we're from a far land. Would you just take us in, and we'll serve you or whatever? And they're like, yeah, just come in, and you can be our servants. And so they, they basically form an alliance with the people of Gibeon, and then they found out they deceived them, but they said, well, we, even though you deceived us, we made a commitment to you, so we're going to keep our end of the commitment. How I many you know that most of us, that would be an opportunity for us to bail? Well, you didn't keep your in, you, you lied to me, so it's all based on a lie, so see you later. Right? No, they made a covenant before God. And it didn't matter what the other people did. They made a covenant before God, so they said, well, we're not going to harm you. And, in fact, you're going to be our allies. So what happens is army of, of five different cities come, and they attack Gibeon. And Joshua was like, well, that ain't going to happen. These are my people. They, they belong to us now. They're part of our crew. They've been grafted in. And so, so it says in Joshua chapter 10, if you guys got your Bible there, And so these five Amorite kings combined their armies for a united attack. They moved all their troops in place and attacked Gibeon. The men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp in Gilgal. Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once and save us. Help us for the Amorite kings who live in the hill country have come have joined forces to attack us. So Joshua and his entire army, including the best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. They were ticked. They're like, no, this ain't going to happen. Do not be afraid of him, them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I've given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up against you. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up against you. This, this is, and this is what Joshua does. Again, he's 80. Traveled all night. Now, I'm like half that age. And traveling all night does not sound fun to me. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. And the Lord threw them into a panic, and all of Israel slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horon, killing them all along the way to Azekah and Makeda as, as the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Horon. And the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm, and the heavens continued until they reached Azekah. The hell, the hell killed more of the enemies than the Israelites killed with the sword. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. Now, he didn't go in a room somewhere and hide this prayer. He's about to pray something that's really risky. But he's like, we're going to finish this battle today. I'm tired. We traveled all night, and it, it's going to be done today. So God's coming. He's helping him, and, he's, and he says this. He says, Lord, in front of all the people. He didn't go to his prayer closet. He got in front of the people, and he made this prayer, which was also a declaration. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ahalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stayed in its place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. So here Joshua prays in front of everyone. I mean, I don't know about you, but this isn't a prayer that I would pray in front of anybody, right? Make the sun stop. Make the earth stop spinning. Let this day be extended another 24 hours. That is not a prayer I'd pray in front of anybody else, right? 
I mean, how many know that you're setting yourself up to look stupid and insignificant and disconnected with God? But Joshua does it in front of everybody, and it happens. Now, Chinese, Egyptian, and uh, Mexican writings have also uh, had this in in their record of a long day, that the earth actually, so this is something that was actually recorded uh, by not just the Jewish culture or the Christian culture. This is, this is something that many cultures have embraced this long extended day. Now, did the earth stand still or did the sun stop? Well, we know that the sun's not moving, right? That the earth is actually rotating around the sun. But when Joshua prayed that from his perspective, he knew that he needed the day to last longer, right? And so what happened? The day lasted longer. So from Joshua's subjective viewpoint, the sun stopped. Sun didn't stop. The sun stood still. The earth stopped rotating. Now, if you know anything about science, which I don't know a lot about science, but if you know anything about science, you know that that can really screw things up on the earth. I mean, the earth stops spinning, then you got people floating. There's no gravity. You know what I'm saying? I mean, everything's just a mess, right? Hurricane. You know what I'm saying? Like tidal wave. It's 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 just it's a mess. I mean, the earth is meant to rotate. But the God of heaven, the God that created the heavens and the earth also was able to take a seemingly chaotic situation and bring order to it and stop the earth for his people. This shows us the depth of God's love, that he would step into all the laws that he created and keep chaos from happening to fulfill the request of his children. He didn't, God could have just took them out, but it was Joshua's request. Joshua wanted to see God intervene that way. So God could have just wiped it. Nah, I don't want to mess with all that. God of heaven said, no, I will grant the request of my child. Some would suggest that this was just figurative, right? That because our universe hinges around the sun's activities, because science, but I'm telling you, but God, who created the cosmos, is also able to control every, every specific detail of its functionality. I do not believe this was figurative. I believe it was literal. Joshua is not a figurative written book. It's a history book, really, for us. Now, what we do is we read a story like this, right? And we try to get all logical, right? I know that I, I'm kind of like that way. I'm a little bit naturally a skeptic. Anybody else in here, you're naturally a little skeptical? That's okay. There's nothing wrong with being a little bit skeptical. There's nothing wrong with being a little bit critical, just as long as you don't have a critical spirit, right? So it's good for you to be a thinker. It's good for you to process things. And so what we do is we create some Discovery Channel thing. Did the earth really stop? Well, actually, what we have found is that over the time that this little thing happened, and there was actually, it seemed like an extended day, but it was actually like an eclipse, right? But that's not what Scripture says. So for some reason, we want to believe the possible. We want to believe that, that everything can be explained by logic, There's nothing wrong with being logical. There's nothing wrong with being smart. There's nothing wrong with science. In fact, science doesn't deny God. It actually confirms God. Science has never been able to disprove anything that we believe in our faith. Nothing's ever been disproven. So there's nothing wrong with logic. There's nothing wrong with reasoning. But listen, God has invited us to take part in the impossible. God didn't create you. You weren't, re, you weren't reborn 
to just be better. To experience the best. You were born, reborn to experience the impossible. God created, recreated you through salvation that you would have a super nature and you would live super normal. That you wouldn't just get by, but that you would live with a supernatural instinct that your doubter would quit working. How many of you want your doubter to quit working sometimes? <laughs> you wake up and you're like, what? Listen, we are called believers for a reason. We are called believers for a reason. Jesus says, Matthew 19, 26, with man, this is impossible. Jesus was talking about being born again, being born a second time. But with God, all things are possible. See, we don't serve the God of the possible to the probable, to the logical. We serve the God of the impossible. We serve a God who stops the earth. That's the kind of God that we serve. And if you can't buy into that, then how can you buy into that you can actually be born a second time? That you can take on a heavenly nature on the earth. Now, when we talk about belief, right, the world has really kind of messed us up, right? Uh, Disney has really screwed our theology of belief around, right? Because if you believe in yourself, you can do anything. How many know that no matter how much I believe in myself, I cannot go run a 5K? I know you're looking at me and you're like, yeah, probably not. Don't want me. I serve the God of the impossible. Listen, belief is not self-confidence. Belief is dependence. Belief is Godfidence. It's not believing in ourself. It's believing in him, Mariah told me one day, you know, she's watching Disney or whatever. Just believe. Just believe in yourself. And she's like, I can do anything if I believe in myself. I was like, Mariah, that's not true. Let me bring some logic to your reasoning. It's not true. Yes, I can do anything. I said, like, no, no, no. You can do anything through Jesus. You can achieve the impossible by God, but you can't do it by believing in yourself. We've got this whole, listen, I don't have a problem with people having a little bit of confidence, but, but even the church world has been swamped by this idea of just believe in yourself and be the better you. And when I read scripture, it's more like I need to die to myself and deny myself and pick up my cross and I need to crucify myself daily. Like this, this that's the agenda that I'm after, not trying to feel better about myself or whenever I screw up, be happy about it. Right? Like that? Okay. The problem with placing your faith in yourself is that you are fallible and shakable. But when we place our faith in the unshakable God, then we remain unshaken. See, there's some things that God can't do. God can't fail. I heard Robert Morris say this. He says, says, nothing has ever occurred to God. Like, it's not like God is like, oh. I never thought that that could happen. That's it. This is not how God functions. It's not his nature. God cannot fail. God cannot learn. He already knows everything. God cannot be more powerful. But you were born for supernatural and supernormal. Let me tell you this this morning. 
that it is abnormal as a believer for you not to crave the impossible. If there is not something inside of you as a believer that craves to see impossible things, then something's wrong with you as a believer. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, let's get this right. We as believers should crave the impossible. Well, I've been let down so many times. I understand. So have I. But we don't trust in what is seen. We trust in the unseen because we want to unlock the unseen. We should function with so much hope for the impossible that people question our sanity. Really? You think God would do that? I don't know. There was one time in the Bible where he stops the earth from moving. There wasn't like a catastrophe. It was just God stopped it. I mean, there were like dead people and they came to life. So, I mean, we're called believers for a reason. The achievable, because isn't that how we pray, right? We pray, God, let me do a little better, right? Just help me, you know, reach my goals, right? There's nothing wrong with those things. But listen, the achievable does not require the attention of a supernatural God. The achievable does not require the attention of a supernatural God. Let me also say this. The believable, the naturally believable does not require the attention of a supernatural God. It can happen without him because of the laws that he set in motion, because of the things he's already done. But when will we start living a life that says, I require the attention of God's intervention? I require the intention of God's intervention. Would we live lives like that? So today, I'm not talking about a faith that will get you through the day, or that will give you, you know, a little chills in a moment. But the type of faith that moves mountains, that still storms, and pauses the universe. I'm talking about faith for the impossible this morning. So I want to talk three things about this kind of faith, because it requires faith. Right? It don't just happen because you said a prayer, right? It doesn't just happen because you, you know, have a good day or because you're lucky. There's more involved than that. So, for faith for the impossible. How many of y'all want to have faith for the impossible? I don't want just faith for the daily. I want faith for the impossible. Number one, you got to have Maturation, mature, maturation, maturity, maturation. I had to have a chun at the end. Maturation. You got to have the maturity. Are you guys with me? It's a hard word to say. I know. Yeah, you're right. You're not into the logical. <laughs> That's good. God, God will help me say those big words. Maturation. There's a maturation process inside of you, right? A, a maturing. Right? It's not just, faith is not a, not a state. It's a journey. It's, uh, we, we talk about that. We're talking about a faith that is committed to growth. So maybe your faith isn't fully grown yet. None of our faith is fully grown yet. It's growing. Are you with me? But a faith that's committed to growth, a maturation, a, a faith that is saying, I will grow. Listen, faith is the currency to access the unseen realm. 
We need to grow in that economy, right? If faith is a currency, then I need to increase the economy of my life. Did you know that you live by faith, that you walk by faith as a believer? That's your currency. It's how you, it's how you get by, but it's also how you experience the supernatural. So faith is the currency for that. Jesus healing some blind guys in Matthew chapter 9, this is what he says. He heals them. They're like, oh, thank you, Jesus, right? And he says this, according to your faith, before we see it, he says, according to your faith, it will be done to you. According to their faith, they experienced the miracle. Wasn't according to their fortune. Wasn't according to their works. Although you can't separate faith from works. The work was them coming to Jesus. But because of their faith, faith is the currency. It will be done for you. How many know that there's the gift of faith? That's the faith that you have. And then there's the faith that's developed over time. So you have a measure of faith. God has given you a level of faith. You have a faith level, right? You have, you're born with, with a measure of faith. But if that's all you have, then all you're going to experience is what you have. So what you've got to do is you've got to increase that faith. Again, let me just say this. Joshua was 80 years old. So he got out in front of people and he prayed that prayer. Like some of you are going to leave and you're going to go do some, say, pray something crazy today. Some of you won't because you don't have the history in God to pray something that big. Just simply because you haven't grown yet. So I'm not hating on you because you won't pray sun stand still prayers. What I'm saying is where is your faith and are you willing to grow that and nurture that? Faith is not a destination but a process. It's a lifestyle we walk, we live by, we grow it. And what I'm not saying is that you need to have seasoned faith. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you have to have faith that is devoted to growth. Matthew chapter 17. I tell you the truth. If you have faith that is even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it would move, and nothing would be impossible. I got my fingers a mustard seed. It looks like I'm just holding my fingers together, right? Close your eyes. Did you feel that? Close your eyes over here. How many of y'all got hit by that? That was a mustard seed. You couldn't even see it. Over here. Close your eyes. I said close your eyes. Oh, sorry. Oh. Right back here. Right back here. Close your eyes. Right back here. You can't see it, but you can feel it, right? <laughs> Open your mouth. They're spicy. I tried one this morning. They're spicy. Over here. Listen, you can't see it. Why can't you see it? Because it's tiny. I dropped it. I didn't see it. Little bitty seed. I mean, even though you can't see it, you're, you're expressing faith. Oh. Uh, my cleanup crew is going to love me. I was picking up seeds two years later. All right. So what the heck? That like, doesn't make sense to me, right? Because, I mean, my, my faith is a lot bigger than that. Your faith is a lot bigger than that. I mean, you might be brand new. It might be barely, but it might be the size of a pea. 
But your faith is bigger than that. But Jesus said if you had faith that it was that big, that you would see mountains move. That you would speak to mountains and mountains would fall into the sea. That you would speak to storms and storms would pass. You would speak to the cosmos and the earth would stop moving. That, I mean, essentially it's what Jesus, just faith this big. What? It makes no sense to me. See, the kingdom is all about God using the small things. You ever notice that? Jesus always equates things as small things. Just a little yeast, just a little seed. It's the kingdom. God always has a, what is a seed? A seed is a starting point. So when Jesus said that, he wasn't saying that you gotta, that your faith is going to stay that small. Because he says this in, uh, in Matthew 13, 32. He says, the smallest of all seeds, the mustard seed, becomes the largest of garden plants. In fact, it grows into a tree. And even birds come and hang on its branches. So your faith might be this little right now, but you're committed to the process to see your faith grow. So when Jesus said, oh, I just have it all. No, no, no. He's talking about taking that seed and devoting it to the process. What is the potential of your faith? This is small, but it's got a lot of potential. Right? Watch out. You want to get one of those in your eye. Then we'll have to pray healing. Okay. How do we get faith? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of the word of God. So we get faith. Faith starts. This is what the context is salvation. Faith starts as the word. We hear the word, boom, faith begins. What is the word when Jesus talks about the seed? So we're in the seed. The word, right? So he talks about the word growing. Listen, as you grow in the word, your faith grows. It's not just about you getting in the word and having a devotion, although you need that. But you need to get into the word until the word gets into you. You know, uh, Jeremiah said this, that he ate the scroll. Gross, right? How do you eat a scroll? One bite at a time, right? And he's like, <laughs> right, eating the scroll. But when, when you eat something, it becomes a part of you. Listen, when you feast on the Word of God, when you feast on the bread of life, it becomes a part of you. Your faith will grow as you make, as you develop an appetite for the Word of God. That's how your faith grows. The whole earth and all of its existence is here because the Word was spoken. You need to speak the Word. You need to believe the word and speak the word. You need to observe the word like you're doing right now. You need to read the word. Then you need revelation from the word. You need declaration of the word. You got to get in the word until the word becomes part of your DNA. We look at the disciples, and I, listen, I think it's available for all of us, no matter how deep we are in the walk. But we got to keep in mind that the disciples were saturated to the words of Jesus for three years. They were hearing him speak day in, day out. That's why we see in Acts, all of a sudden, the lid was taken off. I'm not saying that it takes three years. It don't take three years. It just takes a moment. It takes obedience. It's taking that word and doing something with it. Allowing its potential to bear fruit in your life. Faith increases as our understanding of God increases. Faith increases as our understanding of God increases. Revelation. What is revelation? Is it God, is, is God, I was about to say gooder. 
Is God gooder today than he was yesterday? No. His goodness is eternal. Is God more powerful today than he was? No, but my understanding is. Is his love bigger than it's ever been? No. His love's constant. It's unchanging. But I have more of an understanding of it today than I did yesterday. And as I understand him, I'm able to function in him a little bit more. As I understand him, my faith in him grows because I realize that he's good. It's, not, it's just a revelation. It's like I'm wearing socks right now. My, my buddy Ben uh, uses this illustration. I'm wearing socks right now. They're, they're gray socks, and they got little blue crabs on them. They're pretty rad. They're awesome socks. You didn't know that until I told you. Oh, look. Gray socks are blue crabs. Now you have the revelation. They were always on, but now you know about it. I know you wanted to know about my socks. <laughs> no. Okay. So you've got to have a commitment to growth, a maturation, a maturing of your faith. Not just leaving it where it's at, but a maturing of it. You're devoted to that. That doesn't mean that you have to have 80 years like Joshua did. It doesn't mean that. But it has to mean that you are committed to it for that. Are you with me? Number two. If you're going to have faith for the impossible, you've got to have an imagination. A faith that dreams big dreams. Now, I can get myself into a lot of trouble because of my imagination. I mean, I could probably spend a lot of money on the things that go on in, in my head. You know, um, when people talk about, well, you know, provision follows vision, I'm like, there is no way. I mean, it has, it's actually got to be, it's the unseen realm, all the money that I need to accomplish all the things that are in my brain. <laughs> you know, I'm saying, oh, you know, provision follows vision. I'm like, man, <laughs> there better be a lot of provision then, right? <laughs> because I have a big imagination. I know God could do some incredible things. Now, some of you have bigger imagination than me. In fact, some of you are bothered by my imagination. You're like, that's just ridiculous. Like, that's okay, because when we have a faith that dreams, God can fulfill that. Check this out, Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably. The word there in the Greek is superabundant. God who is able to do superabundantly more than we can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work in us. What is the power? The power is the Holy Spirit, but it's also faith. Faith is what accesses the Holy Spirit in your life. Are you with me? He is able to do more than I can imagine. That's scary. I'm a pretty creative guy, you know? And some of you are really creative. Like, you can, you think, man, it would be kind of cool if God did that. Start believing for that. When will we ask some of the things that go through our mind? I mean, can you imagine Joshua? 80 years old, right? He's already lost his creativity, we would say, in our, in our day and age, right? I know that when I was younger, I was a lot more creative. But I don't, I don't believe that. I, I, I don't receive that. I believe that I'm gonna, as I grow in my revelation of God, he's creative. I'm going to become more creative. So that's what I'm standing on. But I know when I was younger, it was easier for me to dream. Um, it was easier for me to, to have vision. But I want to devote myself to say, I'm just going to dream. I'm going to put my phone away. I'm going to get away from my computer. I'm just going to dream. And quit looking at somebody else's highlight reel and their dream. 
I'm going to develop my own dream. And a faith that dreams big. Maybe, maybe it was because Joshua was so delusional from not sleeping the night before. I don't know what he was thinking. But somewhere in that 80-year-old brain of his, at least 80 years old, somewhere in that 80-year-old brain of his, he thought, wouldn't that be cool if, like, the earth stopped? If the, if the sun, like, stayed still and we could, like, finish them today? I mean, where, did, where do you come up with this stuff? Right? I mean, can you imagine, like, being one of his warriors? You'd be like, I mean, he, what we do notice is that he didn't go to, he didn't try to get a vote for it, whether it was a good idea or a bad idea. In fact, he got in front of everybody. I mean, he was crazy. I mean, he was really crazy. I mean, he gets in front of everybody. He's like, son, stand still. All right. Ching, 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 right? <laughs> well, he's going the way of Moses, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, what were they thinking? What was he thinking? He had an imagination. What's your imagination like? God's able to supersede anything that you can imagine. Super abundant, above your imagination. What could God do through your life? Will you dream, dream, the incredible dream, or whatever that song says? Y'all ever heard that, right? Maybe I'm making it up. Maybe it's a prophetic song. Dream, the impossible dream, or something. Will you dream? Will you dream God's dream? Will you get before the creator of the universe and say, God, would you create in me something, have an appetite for something that's bigger than I can ever imagine? I want to see something happen. And it's, listen, it's not just for your benefit. It's for the benefit of God and his kingdom. Open up your imagination. Number three. And there's more. You could, you could, we can make this list on meditation, proclamation. We can go on. Number three, supplication. What is supplication? Supplication is asking. When you pray, you ask God for stuff, right? But will we ask big things of our great big God? Because we're really good at asking little things, right? We gather around with our family every night. Lord, would you give us a good night's sleep that we'd have enough rest so tomorrow we can do all the wonderful things that you have for us? But we've got to start praying big prayers. Will we do what Joshua did? Will we ask the unthinkable? The unthinkable. Who would even think of that? Which, listen, the, the, the church for so long has taken our creative cues from the world. What is that? We have a God that actually can fulfill things that are beyond any resource any human could ever come up with. We have the supernature. The audacity of Joshua to stand in front. I mean, really? Come on. Good thing he didn't have, like, you know, scientists around him or, or me around him because I would have been like, oh, whoa. <laughs> I know God is like big and powerful. Calm down there, Joshua. Hey, guys, he made, what he actually meant is just make the day seem a little longer. There you go, Joshua. I'm being your defender, right? No, no, no. Ask big things. It's one thing to think big things and to imagine big things. It's another thing to ask God for big things. Our view of God's nature will dictate the request that we are willing to ask of him. How big is your God?
How big is he? Most of us, he's about this big. Just enough to fit in my little pocket. I'm not going to ask him for things to help me through the day. Just petty little God in my little pocket and get him out when I need him. But when are we going to ask God for things that only he can do? Will we ask the big things? The size of our prayers is indicative of our view of how big God is. Listen, big prayers are not a lack of big faith. They're an expression of it. Oh, let me say that again. Big prayers are not a lack of big faith. They are an expression of it. Listen, as your faith grows, so would the things that you're asking of God to do. It won't just be like, get me through the day, right? That's good. That's a good prayer. There's nothing wrong. You should pray that. Some of you just need to pray like this. God, I pray that my life would be so poured out tomorrow that everyone around me would experience Jesus. Some of you, that's like so far off your radar. Some of you are like, yeah, I do that every day. I'm like, great. God bless you. But some of us, were just not there yet, right? But we're committed to the process. Listen, we're not talking about doubtful or fearful. This is what we do. We don't allow our imagination to direct our prayers. We allow, we allow our fears and our concerns and our doubts to drive our, fear, our fears. God, would you help me? I pray that this doesn't happen. I pray that this doesn't happen. Lord, please just protect me. Oh, Lord, would you just do something? When are we going to start praying dangerous prayers? It says, God, would you do something huge in my life? Would we make an impact on a city? Would we see a 1,000 people saved this year? When are we going to ask God for something big? Because when we ask God for something big, we're expressing big faith. We're saying, God, only you can do it. I can't do it. God, would you give us a building? Overflow church. I can't get a building. We don't, y'all don't give enough money for us to buy a building. Listen, I'm not hating on you. But listen, we don't have enough money to get a building. God, will you give us a building? That's a big prayer. Just give it to us. No payments. Come on. Just give it to us. Just give it to us. Because we need a bigger building. Y'all know how you hate sitting in here with us being so full and you're uncomfortable. It's in that tension. Listen, it's in that tension of uncertainty where faith is expressed. Let me say that again. It's in that place, the tension of uncertainty, where we're like, I'm just not sure, am I crossing the line here? Oh, God, would you? I'm finishing up. Mark 9. Mark 9. So, this is what happens. There's this father with a demon-possessed kid. I'm just going to tell a story. He's got a demon-possessed kid, and his kid's, like, freaking out and having these fits. He's having, like, these seizures. He's throwing himself, trying to kill himself, throwing himself in the fire. And so he hears about Jesus' disciples, right? And so he's like, well, let's just take them over to the disciples, and maybe they'll pray for my kid. And so the disciples try to, like, pray for his kid, and no demons are delivered. Nothing changes. So they come to, he comes to Jesus, and I, I love this. He comes to Jesus. And he tells him, he's like, the spirit throws him into the fire or in the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. <laughs> right? If you can. Because how many know that this guy had probably been to doctors? He had been to the disciples. He had probably been to every spiritual person that he knew. And he's like, Lord, if you can. I mean, I'm just, I'm kind of done. I'm kind of done 
Lord, I'm kind of done fighting this battle. So if you can. And I love Jesus' response. What do you mean? What do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. And so immediately, if you know this story, and I've, I've hung my spiritual hat on this story because I can relate to this father. The story goes on to say that he says, Lord, I believe. But will you help my unbelief? And Jesus didn't get mad at him and smack him and say, you're an unfit servant. He said, I'll help your unbelief. And he heals his son that day. So today I dare you to ask God for something that only he can do. Not something that you can do. Not something that you could dream up. But something that only God can do. Something that would be so supernatural and so powerful that only God could get credit for it. Would you ask it? In fact, would you live your life asking questions? Can I get somebody to come play? Would you live your life asking God questions? Would you, would you stretch the limits? Of appropriate prayers. I mean, he's kind of like, he's praying this. He's like treading. I mean, that's like dangerous. That's like stupid, praying that the the whole earth would stop for him. For insignificant. Joshua, that's stupid. What is he thinking? That's crazy talk. But would you live that kind of life? Can we commit together to say, God, I'm going to live my life asking, pushing the envelope of heaven and saying, God, would you do something big? Would you do something only you can do that I could never achieve, but only something God can do. It's not for my promotion. It's not for my advancement. It's for the glory of God. And the only one that can get glory out of it because it's so powerful is God.